episode eight. Episode eight. Snake Eyes. Sideways Infinity. All right. Trevor, we're back. We're back. One Hit Wonders of the World. Back on the air, baby. It's been like two months, Trevor. It's been a minute since we last sat down to talk about the hits. Trevor, in the interim, I have completely moved house. I live in a completely different place now in right, Charleston. Right, you moved from one residency in Chucktown to another. And that's part of the explanation for the gap. Thankfully, we've nailed down some time to finally come back and talk to you guys about Genius, Genius of Love, Love by, by the TomTom Tom Club. Club. <laughs> I love that little synth line. That's the hook, as far as I'm concerned. That's what's been getting stuck in my head like for the last couple of days. It's a very farty synth, and I know that you're a fan I'm of those. I'm a big fan of farty synths, and this synth farts a lot. <laughs> I didn't know about this song until really recently. I feel like I don't see it that much, actually. Like, In fact, I, had, I hadn't heard this song until... I got, or I hadn't actually heard it on the, maybe I had, but I just had, it hadn't, I didn't recognized it or like it hadn't caught my attention before I got into Talking Heads as a teenager and first heard this on their live album, Stop Making Sense. I actually have the same experience. I found out about it when I went to go see a, uh, a showing in a movie theater of Stop Making Sense. And that was, that was when I had first heard it, but like, in the process of me doing research for this album it it's very very apparent what a large effect this song had on like early hip-hop and sure. as a whole and totally. like that universe it's pretty interesting and uh fascinating to think some talking heads affiliates had that kind of effect on you know culture at large but oh yeah for sure i mean talking heads were tapped into the culture they were uh i guess that's taken us pretty quickly into the backstory of the tom tom club once upon a time there was a band called talking heads you might have heard of them they're important weirdos born of the New York punk scene from the 70s. Also technically a three-hit wonder. Played around CBGBs a lot. So their front man is um, David Byrne, who's uh, mm-hmm. a prolific solo artist in his own right by now. He's collaborated extensively with a lot of other cool artsy weirdos like Brian Eno, St. Vincent, Fatboy Slim. Cream of the crop artistic weirdos. He uh, also has a bit of a film and acting career as well. He's a one of a kind talent. There are very few people in any genre of music like David Byrne. He's a little prickly, isn't he? I think the reputation is he's kind of like a cold robot figure. Not very in touch with his feelings. He doesn't write a lot of love songs. And the one love song he does have was written for a lamp. (laughs) True. It's the duality of David Byrne. Yeah. The rhythmic heart of the Talking Heads was husband and wife duo Chris Prance and Tina Weymouth, respectively the drummer and the bassist. Those three met at the uh, Rhode Island School of Design, I believe, and uh, they initially tried to form a band called The Artistics in 1973, but that ended up dissolving the following year after it wasn't very successful. Bummer. But after that, they uh, moved to New York, and um, after doing a little bit of searching for a bass player, they failed to find one, and... Chris eventually encouraged Tina to learn how to play uh, by listening to Susie Quattro albums. And long story short, Tina Weymouth would become 
possibly my favorite bass player of all time. Definitely in my top five bassists. She's a good one. She's destroying it on this track. I actually uh, prefer her vocal contributions on this one more than her bass playing, probably. I, I really love the way she delivers the vocals on this one. It, she has this kind of like blissful, almost like drugged out and like... It's very ethereal. Yeah, ethereal kind of like delivery. Uh, she does that, she has that lyric about going insane when like they took cocaine and this sounds like somebody who's kind of whacked out a bit but like totally numbed and happy i got a quote from chris france here he said a lot of people thought david byrne was the goose that laid the golden egg it wasn't really like that he was the egg but he was not the goose i don't know what i think of that metaphor he is an egg though and he goes on to say that we always thought talking heads was the mothership and tom tom club and everything else we did was just a spin-off of that which makes sense sure that's how i see it and i think that's how the canon of popular music sees it so they they, they become pretty successful fast forward to early 1981 when they just hit it big with one of their seminal records remain in light uh, in order to reproduce the sound of the album on stage, though, they need to, like, double the size of the live band. Yeah. Adding a lot of the musicians that would be seen in Jonathan Debbie's classic concert film, Stop Making Sense. And uh, the tour was a critical success, but it was so expensive it left them, like, nearly broke. Cha-chonk. Yeah, David Byrne moved on to a collaboration with choreographer... Uh, how do you say this woman's name? Twyla Tharp? I think you nailed that. That was uh, called the Catherine Wheel. And while he was doing that, uh, the fourth member of the group, guitarist and keyboard player Jerry Harrison, announced he was going to do a solo album. But Chris and Tina still weren't really interested in doing a solo project. Until their accountant was able to convince them. He said, yes, you're doing well, but you just did this big tour of the world with an eight-piece band, and you've only got about $2,000 in the bank, so you'd better do something. Gotta fix that. And so they enter into this bills-paying, one-off deal with Island Records founder, Chris Blackwell. Chris Blackwell! According to France, had passed on signing the Talking Heads years earlier. So that might have been awkward. So Chris France uh, said in an interview, uh, we knew we wanted to do something that people can dance to. With Talking Heads, we had become really well-known, but we wanted to make a departure so that we weren't just doing the same thing with different people. And this was the music we liked. When we wanted to relax and have a good time, we put on Bohannon or Parliament Funkadelic, not The Clash. They're fantastic, but to unwind and have a good time, we preferred Smokey Robinson and The Miracles or James Brown. We also loved reggae music. We were aware of these early kind of extended mixes of songs, then called mega mixes. Discussion question. Trevor. Okay. Genius of Love's radio mix is five and a half minutes and its extended mix is seven and a half minutes. However, other extended mixes of songs can stretch even further than these, sometimes to 10 or 20 minutes in length. What existing song would you love to hear a 20 minute dub mix of? Do you like anything enough to listen to it for 20 minutes straight? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know about dub, but I think I would really love an extended like 20 minute mix of 1979 by the smashing pumpkins great because i could just listen to that song forever like i could just go on and on and i would be here for it it's a really good one honestly it's one of my favorite songs of all time but what about you what song would you like an extended mix of i listen to it on repeat all the time but i could really just go for a long form 20 minute version of uh odessa by caribou I knew you were gonna fucking say that <laughs> Let's talk about what went right. 
Oh, let's talk about one. Right. So it's spring 1981. According to Chris France, they're down at Compass Point Studios in Nassau in the Bahamas, uh, where they had made two albums already, more songs about buildings and food and Remain in Light, both of which are Talking Heads records. Uh, And they really liked working there. So uh, Island Records founder Chris Blackwell said, come on down make a single, and if I like it, then you can do the whole album. If I like it. If I like it. If I like it. Blackwell. Jeez, the fucking balls on this guy. But according to France, Blackwell is a guy who realizes that drums and bass can really drive a hit song. A lot of people still thought it was the singer or the guitar player, but Blackwell, he knew differently, having worked in reggae and also with plenty of British bands that had great rhythm sections. So the first song that they actually recorded together was the first single from their record, the lesser known Wordy Rapping Hood. Did you listen to this? Uh, I listened to a little bit of it, but let's listen to it right now. Yeah, sure. So I have my issues with this song, but I think I might, I I like it just about as much as Genius of Love. Really? I think it's kind of a jam. Yeah. Cool. Okay. It's a really cool album opener, too. Didn't realize it was the opener. Nice. Yeah, it opens and goes right into Genius of Love afterwards. That's great. They stayed true to it. So it was like, this is our first single. This is our first song. First on the record. Yeah, and it's really great. Uh, Tina Weymouth's delivery is really cool. Words of skill and words of romance. But there, there is one problem I have with it. And this is also kind of an issue I have with Genius of Love and the Tom Tom Club as a whole. It's it's cool. It's a jam. It's really funky, but it also sounds really white. Oh, you know yeah. I mean? oh, it sounds incredibly white. All of it does. And especially during this song, there's like a chorus where she kind of like appropriates like Native American Indian chants and like those kind of like vocal ticks. Yeah. And like divorced from that context, it kind of sounds cool. But like when you like remember what's going on, it's kind of cringy and it reminds me of like, I don't know, like apart from like an animated Disney movie from your childhood uh-huh. that you would like see in 2018 and go, oh, things were kind of different back then. You could get away with a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it's a good song. It's a good song, but I just have like a few issues with it. I still enjoy it a lot. I mean, Genius of Love has a few of those moments too. Yeah. Where, like, I mean, I, I get vibes of that throughout the entire Tom Tom Club album, but it, it never really detracts too much from my enjoyment of it as music. But it's definitely lingering there. I'm going to, I'm going to, hard agree with you on that sure. kind of yeah. floating whiteness. Mm, there's always there's always a sticky subtext to like, you know, a, a popular white band making a hit out of like a genre of music that has largely come up in like the black community. You know, yeah, definitely. But I think we'll talk about later, Genius of Love and the Tom Club Club were like universally accepted by the black community. Yeah. I think I've read like uh, interviews where they said like, they were playing it everywhere, like in the streets of the cities and stuff like that. It was just coming out of boom boxes. Yeah, you're completely right. Yeah. And I think that's due in no small part to the amount of like people of color and Jamaican people and people who knew a lot about dub and reggae and these kinds of music that they wanted to, you know, flirt with to actually help out on the record because they're, you know, talking heads fans. Right. This song is pretty cool though. I do like this song. I don't know if I I wouldn't say I like it as much as uh, as uh, Genius of Love. I think I think the I think the rapping 
is a little too primitive for my taste. Sure, sure. And I would rather listen to Tina Weymouth's beautiful, ethereal howl on this one. It's the candy that keeps me coming back. It's really good. The Warner Rapping Hood isn't bad. Solid debut. The Tom Tom Club said about it on their website. Uh, Wordy Rapping Hood was an unusually original mix of schoolyard rap over a funky groove that went into the top of the charts in 17 countries. Never released as a single in North America. The originality of the song was at first deemed a novelty by entrenched older critics of the time. However, like Blondie's song Rapture from the same period, Wordy Rapping Hood turned out to be seminal in bringing mainstream attention to the new spirit of hip-hop. Interesting, right? Yeah, totally. I get the same vibes from this song that I get from that Blondie material too as well. But this one, I can kind of understand the uh, novelty factor coming more into play with Wordy Rapping Hood. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. It does feel more like a novelty song. To say a few more things about um, Wordy Rapping Hood, Chris Fran said they recorded it and mixed it in like three days. Chris Blackwell came into the studio and said he loved it and to get started on a whole record. And in the meantime, he was going to release that as a single in Europe and Latin America. And it did really well. In quite a few countries, it went to number one. So they got to work on the album. Wonder why not America? I don't know. People weren't feeling Are it. Are we not ready? Maybe I guess. Not. I guess. But we would soon be. When legendary reggae producer Lee Scratch Perry failed to show up for the scheduled recording sessions. That's, that's too bad, but I'm not entirely surprised knowing it's Lee Scratch Perry, the guy who famously once burned down his entire recording studio. Would this be before or after he did that? I'm not sure. I'm going to Google it because I'm really curious. In 1979. So this would have been after he would have burned down his own studio after apparently writing on every available surface with a magic marker before burning it down to the ground. He was an interesting guy. Damn, his studio burned down again, and it wasn't his fault the second time. <laughs> wow, that's that sucks. <laughs> Sorry, Lee Perry. But he failed to show up for the scheduled recording What sessions. could have been, though? What could have been? But after Perry failed to show up, Blackwell allowed Chris and Tina to produce the album themselves with Jamaican engineer Stephen Stanley, who was just 23 at the time. We lad! Yeah. Chris France said at that time he wasn't getting a lot of work, but Tina and I liked him, and we thought we can work with this kid. We had first worked with him a little bit on Remain in Light when the first engineer, Rhett Davis, an engineer who came down with our producer, Brian Eno, got mad at Brian and left after three days. So we had Steven come in as sort of an interim engineer while this other guy got himself together to come back down. Why do you think um, Rhett Davis got mad at Brian Eno? I really want to know this, and ever since I found this quote, I have been wondering this so hard. I thought Brian Eno was just being kind of like an elitist dick or something. <laughs> he just wanted to do things his way. Like usual. Yeah. He's making us record everything on our heads in this one take. He makes us do whatever these cards say. Stephen Stanley actually had recorded all the tracks for once in a lifetime, so we knew he was a good engineer. Hold up. What? That's insane. Pretty cool resume. What a track record. Yeah. Damn, he would have been like 22 when he recorded that. Yeah, one year earlier. So they told him that they liked Lee Perry. He was also totally into that sound, except he was a little more like precise than Lee Perry typically is. And he had a more international outlook. He wasn't just thinking of what would be hot in Jamaica. He was thinking about what would be hot around the whole world. 
So Chris France said, in the studio, I'd play the drum part. It's played by hand, but it's a loop part. doesn't have any fills or anything, but it does have some Tom Toms trademark. Ooh. So I would record a groove with bass, drums, snare, and a hi-hat. Then Tina would put down her bass. Then I would add a little Tom Tom here and there. And then we added the keyboard part, which actually was two keyboard parts combined. Then Tina worked out the vocals with her two sisters, Laura and Lanny, and a little bit of screaming by yours truly. And uh, that keyboard that uh, you and I are both such big fans of, I believe that was played by uh, Tyrone Downey. He plays the synthesizers on this one. He's a Jamaican keyboardist who is most known for his involvement as a member of Bob Marley and the Wailers. Uzziah Sticky Thompson is on percussion. And of course, uh, this song has Adrian Bellow tearing it up on guitar. He actually worked with Frank Zappa and King Crimson, and he was also on Remain in Light. He also does that really cool guitar solo on The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Nice! On Ruiner. They also asked a young Bahamian, Mott Brown, to play guitar on the song after already playing on Rapping Hood. In the studio next door, Chris Blackwell was producing Grace Jones' classic nightclubbing album that featured an array of great musicians, uh, including the Rhythm Twins of drum and bass, um, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare, who uh, Chris and Tina actually brought over into the studio with them to clap along to Genius of Love and record that. That's some very nice hand claps right yeah. there. That's the source of some very nice hand claps. Remember that. Remember that we'll need that information later. Remember the Let's hand keep claps. going. That's Sly yes. Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare. Uh, yes. A few hand claps later, though, Genius of Love was born. Chris France says, there was this one song that I loved called More Bounce to the Ounce by a group called Zap, and Genius of Love was very inspired by that. If you listen side by side, they're very different, but the feel of it, a nice laid back kind of groove as opposed to the more frantic cocaine inspired music at Studio 54. I think that's one of the reasons why it continues to be perfect for people to rap over or play basketball to. I mean, if you can rap over it and if you can play basketball to it, it's a hit as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, what else do you need to do with a song? Those are the two things I need. Zap's 1980 hit, More Bounce to the Ounce, produced by Bootsy Collins, is in and of itself another pillar of sample-based music, whose sample counts 291 songs that sample More Bounce, including songs by Notorious B.I.G., Ice Cube, Ghetto Boys, De La Soul, Insane Clown Posse, and Neil C.C. Rega, to name a few. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Oh, this one. Yeah. How much do you think this sounds like Genius of Love? I can I can feel the influence for sure. I could, do you think it is more than Chris France is trying to say it is? Um. Because I think they are very similar. They've got similar, you know, ounces to them. And ounces to them. Yeah. I would like to hear, um, like, I think it would be cool to hear Tom Tom Club cover this song. Oh, that would be sick. So the early reaction from at least one of their Talking Heads bandmates was pure envy. Chris says, I remember when Jerry Harrison first heard it, he said, God, I wish I had thought of that. The other member of Talking Heads not in Tom Tom Club, though, David Byrne, decidedly more stoic, you know? We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. But France recalls being embraced by the urban community at large. He said, one of the most gratifying moments in my career was when I was walking down Lower Manhattan's Houston Street, turning the corner of 6th Avenue where the basketball courts were. 
there were a lot of kids playing basketball with their boom boxes out and every boom box was turned to wbls blasting genius of love and it felt so good i just had to stop and watch for a while way to go guy what a what a feeling yeah what a feeling yeah. good for you man even if you do just get one hit that's a great way to kind of, you know, celebrate and relish in it, you know? That's one more hit than anybody else is going to get, right? Amen. Amen to that. And so many people ended up liking this song that it became a bigger hit than anything the Talking Heads had done to that point. Oh! I actually feel like I've heard a... I don't have... Like, I didn't go researching this story uh, before the episode, but I feel like I've heard one where, like, Talking Heads were, like, on their way to a show or something together when they got the news that Genius of Love had blown up to the point that it had. And they were just all kind of sitting there awkwardly. And like, eventually Chris goes like, well, obviously we would have liked it if this had happened with the whole band first. That's fucking funny. But today, Chris credits the success of Genius of Love to extending the life of Talking Heads and convincing David Byrne to keep the group together after he was maybe feeling a little hesitant about the band's future. Very interesting. This kind of almost reminds me of um, the whole like, animal collective panda bear dynamic where like animal collective were going along at a pretty decent rate making a name for themselves but then panda bear dropped person pitch and that kind of turned out to be like a bigger indie darling than animal collective ever had been in the past yeah and then panda bear brought that person pitch energy back to animal collective and they got even bigger with like strawberry jam and meriwether post pavilion just like tom tom club brought their energy back to Talking Heads and they got bigger than ever with Speaking Burning in Tongues. Down the house. Yep. Yeah. Speaking in Tongues is very much their strawberry jam. Never ever thought about that. Very good take. Hey. Very, very good take. But unfortunately, even when you have good takes, things still go wrong. So let's talk about what went wrong. Let's talk about what went wrong. Tom Tom Club's follow-up, 1982's Close to the Bone, yielded another crossover hit, Pleasure of Love, but by 83, the talking heads were fully reactivated. The little satellite craft had returned to the mothership, and it was <laughs> getting ready to blast off in hyperspeed once again. Right. Speaking in tongues and stop making them sense would find them bigger and busier than ever. Right, and Chris Franz says that they had never really intended Tom Tom Club to become a main thing. It was always this thing that they were going to do while talking heads inactive and now that talking heads were becoming active again they were going to put tom tom club back on the shelf a bit the first time they ever even played genius of love live was on the tour that would become the movie stop making sense right the tour supporting speaking in tongues talking heads would play their main set and then david byrne would go backstage to change into his big suit big suit while he was doing that Talking Heads would transform into the Tom Tom Club. I think they even say that in the movie. They're like, we are going to transform from the Talking Heads into the Tom Tom Club, and then they do it. Coming at you right now, ladies and gentlemen, the Tom Tom Club, so check it out. And they play Genius of Love while David Byrne gets his big suit on as a nice little kind of like encore break, which is pretty cool. I wish yeah. more bands did some stuff to, you know, utilize that breather period in the encore. If we can get back to the Panda Animal Collective thing again, like how cool would it be to go to an animal? This would never happen anymore, but how cool would it be to go to an Animal Collective show and it's like two hours and then right at the end everyone goes off stage except panda bear and then he does bros that'd be pretty neat yeah chris france said the only comment that david ever made about genius of love was when we went to go see the premiere of the catherine wheel the musical that he helped out with right 
Tina and I sat with him in the VIP section, and afterwards there was a party at Studio 54. So we went, and what should we plan when we walked in? But genius of love. Maybe a little awkward, but... The world's kind of throwing it in David Byrne's face right now. It sounded so good, and you could tell everybody in Studio 54 was really getting off on it. David leaned over and said, How did you get that hand clap sound? That was the only thing he ever said about the record. Wild. Now, discussion question, do you think he answered him? <laughs> I bet he did, I'm sure, yeah. He's like, well, David. I mean, he, he, talked about, he talked about it in this interview. I'm sure he would have told David Byrne. It's not like they even, you know, it's not like they developed some kind of new technology or something to make a hand clap sound. They just, they just got the rhythm twins to do it. He probably just went like, Dave, two words. Rhythm Twins. (laughs) And David Byrne was like, what does it mean? (laughs) Today, the Talking Heads are honored in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Genius of Love is the song in the time capsule. As long as people are making hip-hop songs, somebody, somewhere, will be sampling it. The Talking Heads were our mothership, Chris says. We really had no interest in doing anything outside of the band. We were forced into something, and this is what we did. Who knew that 30 years later, we'd still be here talking about it. By we, he means me and you. (laughs) Let's talk about what came next. Let's talk about what came next. So what came next in the story of Tom Tom Club was kind of foreshadowed by uh, hip-hop legend Grandmaster Flash, Mm. who uh, met Tom Tom Club once, and um, like shortly after Genius of Love was recorded, I think, and said, you know, you're going to be hearing this beat a lot. And they said, you think so? And he said, I know so. It's going to be famous. And sure enough, it has persisted in hip-hop culture like to this very day. Grandmaster Flash called it. Yeah. He has whatever the ear equivalent of the Midas touch is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right up there with like the Funky Drummer by James Brown and like Flashlight by Parliament in terms of like ubiquitous like breaks and samples that show up in hip-hop music. Like, and some of them are like super obscure too. And some of them are as big as by like Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's own It's Nasty. Featuring a note for note recreation of the riff by our good old friends, the Sugar Hill Records house band. Hey, it was also on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's Genius Rap. Mariah Carey's 1995 number one hit Fantasy is basically just like a cover with like altered lyrics kind of. It's really just her singing over Genius of Love. And Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac, which is just like one of the intro loops of genius of love kind of pitched down went to number two in 1996 and we will be talking about him on this podcast fun yeah can't wait for that but yeah it's just been uh you know prevailing earworm even though it never even cracked the top 30 when sire released it in north america as of this recording who sampled counts 146 songs that sampled tom tom club's genius of love and as you already know it peaked at number 31 on the billboard top 40. right finally in 1999 uh tom tom club released an updated version of genius of love called who feeling who? It, which mentions a new list of influences and would go on to uh wind up in the credits for the film adaptation of american psycho they originally intended it for a 1999 retrospective called Return of the Genius, but that never ended up getting released. Interesting. Let's take a listen to Who Feeling It. Sure, I haven't heard this. It sounds nothing like the old version. Okay. And they're scratching. Yeah, so you know it's 1999. It is 1999. Who feels it? 
So how is this like an updated version of it and not just a different song? That's my question, Trevor. There are no elements of Genius of Love in this? I guess. I guess it's kind of like Genius of Love. I really can't hear it, dude. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, it's good. It's not Genius of Love, but it's not bad. It just seems like a marketing ploy to get people to listen to the new Tom Tub Club single. Maybe. Maybe. But hey, we have... We have some other stuff to listen to, I believe. We have tons of other stuff to listen to. If you wanted, you could go and listen to officially sanctioned remixes and live versions of the song officially released by the Tom Tom Club. You got to recommend that um, Stop Making Sense version, too. That's the definitive version of this song for me. That's also true. My favorite part is that uh, Tina Weymouth changes that line, what you're going to do when you get out of jail. Fun, natural fun to fun, nasty fun. Do you consider fun? Really yeah, that's cool. We will not be talking about those covers because I found some other ones. Okay. First, we have the demo of Genius of Love by the Tom Tom Club. Not really a cover. No, not really a cover, but definitely a version. Sure. You ready? Yeah. Slower. A little slower. Feedback here. Yeah. I don't like it. Hold on. Once the feedback goes away, it gets kind of cool. That's pretty Adrian Bellowy, though. Yeah, very. Like, the guitar gets progressively better, even though it doesn't go down immediately. There it is. Okay. See, at least this is definitely genius of love, and there's no question. Yeah, about no, it. They, it feels like they already had pretty much the basics of this one figured out by this point. Cool. What you got next? It's a good one. So next is the NPR Tiny Desk performance of Genius of Love by the Tom Tom Club. Oh, cool. What year is this from? This is from 2010. Okay. October 2010. Cool. A classic. It's called Genius of Love. One, two, three. I don't like this at no. all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's too twee for me. Yeah, this is very, very twee. This is like YouTube background music. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You guys, get a bigger desk, okay? <laughs> I'm going to have some fun. Now we have some of my shit right here, a uh, a dance remix of Genius of Love by an artist called Catnap. It's fun. I found this earlier and listened to it initially because it thought it sounded hilarious and I wanted to see if it got much worse and then I actually thought it got kind of good, so. Make up your own mind. Like, I heard this, and I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. No, I don't know it so far. Get, give it give it a second. Okay. That's really nice. 
Yeah, I can. I, I think that does sound kind of nice. I'm, it could be doing something. I thought it was going to do something different for a second. And yeah, I was looking forward to that. But this is nice, too. I like this better than whatever it was going to do. All right, now it's good. Now we're in a groove. nice pretty solid dance remix all right what else you got next is a very brief cover by one of your favorite bands the world is a beautiful place and i am no longer afraid to die oh i didn't know about this it's 30 seconds i don't really like them anymore oh why uh i just i haven't liked anything they put out in quite some time since like 2015 not one of your favorite bands i really liked uh the first couple eps they did and that uh, first record, Formlessness, was really great. And I even really dug that spoken word EP they put out in 2015. But since Harmlessness, I just haven't really been messing with their stuff too much. Huh. Yeah. Here's one of Trevor's old favorite bands, The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die, covering Genius of Love. Chris Franz vocals. We didn't talk about those. What do you think about those vocals? <laughs> I, I think they're great. I don't like what he's doing on this song. I understand. I don't like the James Browns. I don't like the you might say you might say you I hate that stuff. Basically all of Chris's stuff you're not really no. into. I, I, I think if I had to like offer one main criticism of Genius of Love, it's that it wanders a little too much. It does. Like I, I don't need all the like the little weird excursions they make and all like fun history and that kind of stuff just give me like a tight little pop song with like tina way doing her thing over this funky beat you know fair like i I can get down with her shouting out some of the artists that's cool but when they go into the behind it behind it behind it behind it i don't i don't love that that much fair fair that's it's interesting because it's it you know earlier we talked about the song having different lengths and there's a fucking long version that i was listening to that was yeah. like seven minutes that really i don't know, accentuates the wandering that you were yep. talking about yeah. just now um it definitely suffers from that a little bit i think that's fun live but like on record i'd like it to be kind of you know tightened up a little bit yeah yeah live is definitely good though now we have another cover performed by an artist that I found who put out this cover about a month ago called Megan Blank. The YouTube video had 19 views. This is her take on Genius of Love. Cool. <laughs> Philip Glass. A little bit. I like a good arpeggio. I do too. I don't like this. I kind of do. However, I wish it did more. Unfortunately, this is all it does. Yeah, it sounds like we might be trapped in like 2009 or something. But I think it's cool though. Yeah, yeah. It's neat. I don't know. It's a it's a nice little time capsule. With my 
right. So next we have one of three DJ Screw covers or oh remixes. Uh, I'm not going to play all three. I'm not even going to play all of this one, but this one's my favorite. Okay. He mixes Genius of Love with an SNL skit, <laughs> but I like how he pitches down Genius of Love here as opposed to how he does it everywhere else. Makes it sound very coastal. I like it. It's nice. What's the SNL skip? Nancy. Yes, dear. Now be honest. At my age, do you think I should be doing something like this? <laughs> Believe me, Ronnie, every once in a while it's healthy to do this sort of thing. It isn't just for young people, you know. A lot of people our age do it. I hear even George Burns did it. But not while wearing roller skates. Probably not. Not familiar with whatever this is. Me, yeah, me either. Why can't I just wear the normal? What else you got? So finally, we have one thing that I thought was was pretty entertaining. Bring me Tom Life. God. This is better than you think it is right now. It's already already working better than it should. Yeah. It's a really good payoff. And it works beautifully. Yeah. It works really, really well. That's fun. You want to talk about our attributes? Yeah, let's talk about our attributes. At the end of every episode of One Hit Wonders of the World, Trevor and I will award attributes to the song that we just discussed using uh, any scale that we so desire, but it must be the same scale for every episode. I'm going to go first because I feel like my scale doesn't stack up to Trevor's scale this time. Don't down (laughs) yourself out like that. Please. I'm sure it'll be great. What do you got? You texted me whenever you figured out your scale, and that's when I started thinking about mine, and I own I I just I didn't get an idea worth texting anybody over, okay? It's a, this is a tough part of the show. <laughs> it's fun though. I often really struggle with coming up with attributes, and I have a very hard time for most episodes until I'm suddenly struck by something serendipitous every time. But one episode I'm not gonna get lucky and I'm gonna have to really phone it in. Anyway, let's go to yours. The scale I chose to do this on uh, is kind of a binary scale, but instead of two, there are three possible awards you may get. I believe that's called a trinary scale. Trinary scale. We got to use more of those. So on Maxton's trinary scale, we got genius, which I am defining as exceptional skill. Then we got ingenious, which I am defining as inventive. And then we got Neither. So you could be genius, ingenious, or neither. So, first, the sailing, nod generating baseline. 
that's genius. That's exceptionally skillful. It's great job by Tina Weymouth on that fucking bass. She's destroying. Well done, Tina. One more for Tina. Ethereal, legendary vocal line. Genius. Exceptionally skilled. I gotta hand it to you. That is definitely the bass and vocals. Heart of this song. Best part of this song. Genius. Gibberish rap interlude. Trevor can say what he will about but James Brown. James Brown. You cannot deny that these are ingenious things. You cannot deny that they are inventive. James Brown is actually another one of my attributes that you just spoiled on accident that is also ingenious. Oh, my bad. It's okay. I don't care if it was funny. Finally, controversial opinion. The main drumline is neither genius nor ingenious. It is pretty boring. Okay, okay. Now, how about you? How familiar are you with um, the concept of IQ points? I'm pretty familiar. The IQ scale was first proposed by some guy uh, in 1916 named Lewis Terman. I won't get too into it because, you know, IQ mm -hmm. really is fucking meaningless. And it's probably like racist at the heart of it, like a lot of these things are. True. But Lewis Terman came up with like um, a way of like ranking human intelligence by IQ points. And he came up with different categorizations depending on how many IQ points you have. Like, for example, if you have over 140 IQ points, you're a genius or near genius. Got it. Well, if you have, like, between 120 and 140, you're very superior intelligence. So I've decided to rank my attributes within each of his different categories. Oh, that's good. Ranging from the smarter ones up in 140 to some of the less intelligent ones down in the lower numbers. It's very good. And I'm going to start at the top actually and we're going to go we're going to make our way down the scale. Cool. So, in the over 140, aka the genius or near genius category, I think Tyrone Downey really really comes through with that always peculiar but always charming synth okay. work that just adds all these cool little creative flourishes all throughout and just those are the parts that got stuck in my head not what Tina Weymouth's doing not what anybody else is doing it's these synths that really stay with me touche however in the 120 to 140 IQ point range aka very superior intelligence I'm gonna put Tina Weymouth's dazed drugged out vocal delivery that I'm such a big fan of true the 130 to 109 range AKA superior intelligence. I'm going to put Adrian Ballou's heavily affected guitar solo. That kind of sounds like some cats meowing. Definitely. I'm a big fan of that. And then we're going to slide a couple notches down the scale to uh, <laughs> what Lewis Terman calls under 70, AKA definite feeble mindedness. <laughs> and I'm going to put in the definite feeble mindedness category, everything that Chris Franz is doing on this record. I just, <laughs> <laughs> don't really like him shouting in the background while my girl Tina is trying to do her thing. Sorry, Chris. You don't, not even the drums. Huh? The drums are cool. The drums are cool, but they are probably my least favorite instrumental part of the song as well. Yeah, he's not They're really just there. It's, doing yeah. much. He literally said it's a loop. But this song, pretty genius all around. I'd have to agree with you. It's a pretty genius song. And a pretty genius thing for our listeners to do would be to look us up and engage with us <laughs> on social media. You can find us on Twitter at One Hit Wondercast with the numeral one out front. And if you want, you can actually reach out with your impassioned emails or audio recordings to One Hit Wondercast, all spelled out at gmail.com, for a chance to be featured on the show. 
So you should do that if you have any opinions or takes or anything you'd like to share about Feel Good Ink by Gorillas. Yes, our next episode. We're really in my wheelhouse, and I might be bringing a friend along. Oh, boy. What surprises do we have in store for you next time? Well, we'll find out on the next episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Until then. I've been Trevor Agrath. I have been Max and Stenstrom. For now. And until next time. Stay. Stay.